Welcome to Making Waves, a podcast from the NOAA National Ocean Service. I'm Megan Forbes, and in this podcast, we're going to focus on an issue of great importance to our environment, climate change, or rather efforts to adapt to climate change. One community in Massachusetts, the Wacoit Bay National Estuary and Research Reserve, has developed an innovative set of tools designed around the concept of blue carbon, or the carbon captured by the world's ocean and coastal ecosystems. You've probably heard that human activities give off something known as carbon dioxide, which contains atmospheric carbon. You might also know that these gases are changing the world's climate, and not in a good way. What you may not know is that our oceans and coasts provide a natural way of reducing the impact of greenhouse gases on our atmosphere through the taking in of this carbon. Coastal wetlands act as something called a carbon sink, sequestering carbon at a much faster rate than forests and continuing to do so for millions of years. The bigger picture of blue carbon is one of coastal habitat conservation. When wetlands are damaged or destroyed, they shift from being a carbon sink to being carbon sources that release greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Protecting and restoring these habitats is a good way to reduce climate change. Blue carbon has received increased global attention recently. Unfortunately, wetlands are disappearing at an alarming rate and decisions to either develop, protect, or restore them are often made in the context of limited public resources. Trading wetland carbon offsets is an exciting new approach to creating a financial incentive for restoration and conservation. In a project known as Bringing Wetlands to Market, the Wacoit Bay Reserve leads cutting-edge collaborative research that examines the relationship between salt marshes, climate change, and nitrogen pollution, and has developed tools to leverage the blue carbon stored in wetlands. I spoke with Tana Marie Surgeon Rogers, the Coastal Training Program Coordinator at the Wacoit Bay National Estuary and Research Reserve. She had much to say on the ecosystem benefits of a project such as this one. What we're trying to do with this project is really expand the implementation of blue carbon. And by that, we mean use this new understanding that has been recently recognized that coastal wetland ecosystems like salt marshes and seagrasses are storing a vast amount of carbon that we refer to as blue carbon. And that that, in turn, is actually providing a climate benefit. If we are able by this project to produce a model that has been refined enough and has been expanded enough and shown to be robust to enable coastal managers to predict greenhouse gas emissions and carbon storage in coastal wetlands in New England and along the East Coast, we would have produced a tool that can be used to help managers understand how wetlands are performing in this area and can be used as a tool to reduce transaction costs for looking at how these systems can be considered in the carbon market. That's one aspect of success. The second area of success is being able to engage with targeted end users the steps you would go through for actually checking the feasibility of a carbon market project. The third is really expanding the awareness and understanding of how wetlands play a role in the carbon cycle and the benefit that they're providing on a number of different fronts, but in the area of carbon storage in particular. I also had the chance to talk with Dr. Dwight Trueblood, the National Estuarine Research Reserve's Science Collaborative Program Manager for the NOAA Office for Coastal Management. He explained why collaboration is such an important element in this type of research project. 
collaboration is a very important aspect of these projects because solving problems that involve coastal resources involves not just understanding how natural resources will be impacted, but also how people living and working in coastal communities will also be impacted by the choices we make. We now understand that we need to engage the people who will use the science so that they trust what is being done and feel that they are part of the overall decision-making process to not only engage the scientists, but also public officials, people from non-governmental organizations, and sometimes even uh, the general public. Doing this well is challenging and it also takes resources. But in the end, I think the extra work is worth it because it makes it easier to implement the best solutions once we get to the end of the project. I would say that NOAA is fortunate in that we already have a system in place to help do some of this work, which is the National Estuarine Research Reserve System. And they're ideally suited to do this because they're nested within their local communities. They have staff in place that can do the research and help facilitate that as well as people that can bridge the gap between the scientists and the people that want to use the information coming out of the projects. Tana Marie agrees. When NOAA funded this project, they really had a vision for um, what they dubbed as collaborative research. And by that, they meant engaging potential end users of the science into the whole research process. And so we have ended up with a project that is not just a strong science project, but it's a project that has really dovetailed well with understanding stakeholder interests and needs at the same time that it's helping to build awareness about blue carbon and about its potential application on a number of different wavelengths. One method of slowing climate change impacts is to incorporate coastal wetlands into the carbon market through the buying and selling of carbon offsets. The Bringing Wetlands to Market project uses a proven method for determining the monetary value of blue carbon in marshes. Under the first phase of the Bringing Wetlands to Market project, we did a tremendous amount of science and field work, and we used that science and fed it into the development of a very data-driven model to be able to see if we could produce a user-friendly model that would take all of that intensive data and boil it down to a few parameters that you could use to be able to predict greenhouse gas emissions and storage in a wetland. And so in this new phase, we're expanding the model. We're doing what is called generalizing it by using more data that's collecting from a wider range of sites. And then we're partnering with others to get data from outside the sites that we're actually doing field work, again, to expand that. And so what we're trying to do is engage with targeted end users, in particular, those that we're working on with the Herring River Restoration Project in Massachusetts, as a primary example of how you would actually do a blue carbon market project. And so we're using that particular project to test that, to look at the feasibility of a carbon market project. We have a guidebook for coastal managers to be able to understand what are the different things that are talked about in the methodology, how they would think about it in their own context to be able to understand and learn about more blue carbon concepts, be able to understand what is in the methodology. So it explains everything very well. And what that opens up is being able to use this methodology to then generate carbon credits for wetlands restoration project. Both Tana Marie and Dwight have visited the research sites and gave me a bird's eye view of the action there. 
So when we go to the site, we set up instrumentation that the reserve has to monitor a number of different parameters over time. Um, so we're looking at indicators that can tell us sea level rise impacts. We have all the different data being collected, temperature, salinity, wind speed, water depth, all of that. We also have put in this extensive boardwalk because our team realized early on that with all the intensive field data gathering that was going to happen, we were going to be trudging through the marsh a lot and we did not want to have negative impact on the marsh. And a boardwalk would essentially allow the science team members to bring out all their instrumentation. So on a day when there's a lot of greenhouse gas measurements being done, a lot of sampling being done, you'll see quite a number of people, everybody out there collecting data at the same time. Dwight was also impressed. I did a site visit while I was out at Wakoit Bay once, and it was interesting in that all the scientists and students can walk out over the marsh without impacting it. And it looks very high tech when you go out there because they have all these instrumentation on students sitting around. If it's a rainy day, they've got umbrellas up over everything. So it's a very high-tech experience, if you will. It's not like just walking out and taking core samples. It's a lot more involved and a lot more people engaged in doing that. They have their study sites identified with plot markers. They put their equipment down and essentially spend pretty much an entire tidal cycle collecting data and information. Beyond tools for wetland restoration and carbon credits, this project has an educational aspect that brings this effort full circle for future generations. The STEM curriculum is a really neat element of this project. It's developed for high school teachers and it looks at the process of science and engineering, really looks at blue carbon science, explains the different things, gives exercises that teachers can use in their classroom. And it also has this very neat element where it includes an adopt a wetland activity that students can use. So students can become stewards of a wetland and this stewardship element is really important because that's a component of what we're trying to drive home in terms of improving public understanding about all the benefits we get from coastal wetlands areas. Dwight and I discuss how this project builds upon efforts that began in 2012, creating a strong foundation for future blue carbon research and raising awareness of this valuable ecosystem service that wetlands provide. As part of the first project, they developed a curriculum at the Rakoit Bay Reserve, you teach teachers uh, about uh, blue carbon and carbon sequestration. And there was an interest in the South Slough Reserve in Oregon for that same information and curriculum. So they made a connection directly between those two reserves to essentially share that curriculum. So the curriculum was actually uh, developed in Wakoit, but then transferred to South Slough and modified to essentially address the questions and issues that they wanted to be aware of. The Bringing Wetlands to Market project is a groundbreaking effort for climate change adaptation. The project has generated information and tools that can inform wetland restoration and protection efforts, as well as policy decisions about greenhouse gas offsets. I asked the team to share with me their feelings on some of the most important information they learned while being part of the project. Coastal wetlands provide habitat for many plants and animals that we don't find anywhere else in the country. So projects like this one help us understand what the benefits coastal wetlands provide beyond what we traditionally think marshes provide. In this case, essentially sequestering carbon 
and you know the more traditional protection from erosion, coastal storms, and flooding. This project is showing that, in fact, wetlands essentially store carbon in the sediments, and that's a benefit that we hadn't really considered in the past. My biggest takeaway is just how incredible these systems are in storing carbon and at the same time, how much there is a need to restore them. Anything that has a restoration benefit could be considered with the use of this methodology. And I think it's not just applicable in the U.S., it's also a globally applicable methodology. So that is really exciting because for the first time, a tool is there that it opens up this whole avenue for market applications of blue carbon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Making Waves. Thanks to Tana Marie Surgeon Rogers and Dr. Dwight Trueblood for joining me. For more information on climate adaptation and projects like this, check out our website at oceanservice.noaa.gov. Thanks for listening. 